on, we can take them. It's a long way. Trust me. What? I cannot jump the distance and have to trust me. Don't tell the elf. Not a word. Check this girl podcast. My name's Mike. Hi, I'm Emma. This is episode 105. No one tosses a dwarf. Now, okay. keep a straight face with that one. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. This is going to be part two of our Leagues of Votan coverage. Um, now, the first, first part was with our son. Yeah, I was going to say, what's interesting about that is that I wasn't part of part one and I no. haven't listened to part one. And also, I have an idea around where I'm intending this episode to go. But I haven't shared that with you. No. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that ends up. <laughs> yeah. We're going to um, continue with the format from the last couple of episodes and that we're just going to kind of kick off and get into it because... Yeah, um, just trying to get back into the groove. Yeah. So um, last episode, I kind of covered some of my thoughts and we didn't really cover what was in the codex. In the past, we've done some quite lengthy codex reviews and tried to have it out the day of release. Mm. And obviously there are plenty of content creators who are doing that sort of thing. So this time around we waited a couple of days and did a review that included some feedback from what those original content creators had done, talking about some of my thoughts about points discrepancies and how they could update and fix it for match play because there's a lot of internet circulation at the moment around how this codex might be a little bit more tuned than some of the other recent releases. Yeah, And... You know, we've obviously seen um, an overreaction in regards to what happened in Germany. Um, okay, we're not going to call it an overreaction. We're no, going no, to I'm, say we have seen a response. No, no, I'm not saying Germany overreacted. I'm saying the internet overreacted to what happened with Germany because they didn't have the full picture. I know what you're saying, but I'm just going to say we're going to be politically correct and we're going to say that the internet as a collective mass had a response to that decision. I'm sure I've got a stratagem for this. There's enough of them in this book. What, to shut me up? There's not. I can guarantee that's not in that deck. No, no, but there's and one. And if it is, I'm taking it There's one it there, out. something called overreactive something or other. <laughs> um, and so after we recorded that and I've been mucking around building some army lists and I kind of half expressed how hard it was to actually write lists in that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our patrons and sort of locals wanted to get a, some more regular games in, offered to come up to our place and play a game. Offered? We're going with Offord. Yeah. Shout out to Jason. Um, <laughs> and he was quite happy for me to proxy a whole bunch of models so we could actually try the Leagues of Votan with all their cool new toys uh, against his Necron list. Now, the Necron list he's using is probably familiar to most players who followed the WTC or came to WATC. It was Liam Hackett's 100 for 100 WATC list. Silent King 
a couple of uh, a chronomancer and a technomancer, a spider, a bunch of scarabs, wraiths, destroyers. And um, yeah, really, really strong scoring list. And a lot of these sorts of lists, like like this particular Necron one, score by... Um, not by rote. They do it in such a way that it's hard for the opponent to kind of put the reins on them and pull them back in if they get an early lead. Mm-hmm. So we thought, okay, this will be a great great way to try it out to see what the Votan can do. Um, it gave us an opportunity for to Jason to try out some new stuff, for me to give him some feedback on what I think he could have done better after the game. Um, and there were only little... Did he ask for that feedback? Yep. He said... He said <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no. It's, it, like, it sounds conceited to say that. Yes, but it does. He asked at the front end, he wants to know what I would do differently. So we, we had that conversation at the front end and then we played and then we had that conversation after the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we played uh, Data Scry Salvage, which is six objectives, hold two, hold three, hold more, um, along with the action for Data Scry. Um, so this is all out of Match Play Nephilim 2022. 2,000 points, 44 by 60 table. We had, what did we have? We had one, two, three, four. We had eight obscuring buildings. We had a forest. We had a, multiple shipping containers. And we had two craters as well. So it was a reasonably dense board. And part of the reason for that is it's not as dense as WTC terrain. Mm-hmm. It's certainly the dense end of our sets of terrain. And one of my biggest concerns with Votan was actually going to be they're a shooting army. They need to be able to draw a line of sight. Um, and it highlighted an issue with one of their weapons straight away because I didn't actually get to use the special rules for that weapon the whole game as a result. Um, but after, other than that, we rolled for who was going first, who was deploying, and we, we played through like it was a tournament game. Um, the whole game, it probably went over the three hours because we were obviously looking stuff up and checking stat lines and stuff, particularly with the Votan, because there was a whole bunch of new stuff neither of us had experienced before. But we still it wouldn't have been much more than three hours to play end to end, which is a pretty solid fairing given a new codex in hand with new stuff. Not to mention the proxies. <laughs> so should we rewind and let's go through the actual army? Okay, sure. Is that useful? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, well let's do that then. So what I took? Yeah. Okay. I just well, I wasn't thinking. There's only about ten data sheets in here, so I was wondering whether you meant the army as a whole or whether no. You... What did you play? What did you put on the table, <laughs> and what made you choose those models? Okay, so it ended up having to be a double patrol, which I was already frustrated with, and I kind of hinted at this in the previous episode. They the transport option for this army isn't a dedicated transport. It mm-hmm. sits in the fast attack slot, and to make any real use out of it, you have to buy two of them to transport one squad. Because each of the transports only carries five and the squad is ten. Yeah. Now that's a really good rule because it lets you break a ten-man squad into two fives, which is great for scoring. But you're putting a 110-point unit in two 110-point vehicles. Yeah. Which is really awkward. And then they take up fast attack slots, which is where the bikes are, which is a unit that scores and is mobile, which you want. (laughs) So I think I'm actually going to have to revise the list again to run it as a patrol... And a, uh, an outrider to get them more fast attack slots mm-hmm. because. So, what made you choose that to start with? Um, it was more just I wanted to see. I'm concerned with the Sag. I was concerned with the Sagittar, the transports mm-hmm. that they were expensive. Yeah. They weren't going to be good enough. And was I just better off running more bikes? I ran 12 by two units of six bikes alongside the, the four Sagittar. After the game, no, I, I want to run six Sagittar. 
but then I ran out of points because mm. this is the weird thing about this army. I ended up with a a Carl and a uh, a Brokier Forge Master. We call him the Broken Forge Master because he is busted. For eighty points, he's stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, stupid good. Stupid good. Really stupid good. Uh, both of them got upgrades: the Carl to a High Carl, um, and the um, the Forge Master. His one. What's his one called? Um, uh, oh no, he becomes the Forge Master. He's an Iron Master, and he becomes a Forge Master. Um, so those cost forty points and twenty-five points respectively. Both a hundred percent worth it. So the Carl, um, mine ended up with a concussion gauntlet and a, disin- a, a vulcanite disintegrator as his two weapons. Um, he also, I gave him the teleport crest and then probably forgot to use it for the whole game. Oh, well done. Um, that takes skill. <laughs> I think it's a skill that our son has. <laughs> I, was, I was also playing the Emir conglomerate for what it's worth, which is why I went with the teleport crest because he hadn't involved from being Emir. Um... I upgraded the mass gauntlet. Sorry, it's a mass gauntlet. I got a concussion gauntlet. The mass gauntlet got upgraded to the Hearthkin Fist, which is a relic, and he got a Warlord trait, which lets him use his um, Grim Efficiency ability twice, which basically means he can point at you twice and give you judgment tokens. Mm-hmm. All really good. I'd probably go without the relic. Like it was nice to wander around with a, a damage four power fist. That was hilarious because I, I killed the Silent King with it. But. I have to give up something to change over to get the fast attack slots I want. So that goes. The Forge Master, on the other hand, <laughs> I'm really conflicted by this because his inclusion, I never used any of the rules that I paid for to give it to him. Because as soon as Jason heard what that thing would do, he just went, well, I guess I'm not shooting at that vehicle then. And just ignored it. And I lost this unit in combat to the Silent King, but not before they'd killed some wraiths and fought the Silent King. And for 80 points, like the squad, like for 90 points, I can find 10 points in this list. I could have taken the um, Iron Here champion, which in that scenario would have been better, but then I don't know, would that have meant that Jason would then go, oh, you know what? Now that I have a chance at killing yeah. the Land Fortress, now I will shoot at it. Yeah. So it's a bit of a weird one. And um, you, we've spoken before. You can't make decisions based on one game. No, um, the Forge Master, for the record, has um, apparently a rule I didn't know about. And that's really cool. Um, <laughs> uh, no, the thing, thing that makes him most awesome is the Master Armor rule, which basically means that he walks around behind a vehicle, and when he repairs, instead of D3 plus one for his unit. He just gets a flat four every turn. Mm-hmm. And once per battle round, you can, if you fail a save on a vehicle within six, you can elect for that damage to be reduced to zero. Ah, nice. Which is amazing because most of the time that rule is the first failed save. Yeah. This is selectable, uh. which means that you can't throw small arms and chaff fishing mm. for a failed save to get rid of that rule. Yeah. It means that when you're pointing your big guns at me, I can take the chaff fire, ignore yeah. it, ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. Oh, if I rolled a one instead of a two, oh, I take one damage, who cares? Mm. Oh, you're shooting your big gun. How much damage is it? 12? No, zero. That's what makes that so good. And he just trails along behind the, um, the vehicle 
I'm actually thinking about it now because um, I had him walking around the table. Mm. I actually think I need to put him in the vehicle mm. because the unit he's with can perform actions and still shoot. He can still repair while they're performing actions and all the other bits and pieces. And they're quite a vulnerable unit compared to the rest of the army. So putting them in the vehicle and just jumping... The downside with it, of course, is none of his rules work until he's outside of it. Yeah. So depending on the army, you might have to start him outside of it. But a lot of the time it makes sense if you're ferrying him around, start him in that if the vehicle's safe for turn one. So I just want to go back a minute. And so you said that at the you were considering do you take... The champion instead of the forge master? No. Okay. Um. I think you were saying that you did you run four four, four transports plus the land fortress and you know after the game you wanted to run more more, more transports so you wanted to run six yeah why for their points they're amazingly efficient um, so the talking about the I'll finish the rest of the list because that kind of plays into the rest of it so there's two patrols the forge master and one the high carl and the other mm-hmm. both detachments got a unit of hearthguard which is the new exosuit units so basically terminators but for space dwarves um both the units got disintegrators and plasma blades alongside the grenade launchers um i'll think about that and I'll, i'm still deciding on whether that was a, those were good units or not they were but they also weren't um both sides got a single unit of hearth kin which is the troop choice um both of those units got a railgun and a an ion beam a plasma beamer sorry and then because of the four Sagittar, I was able to split both of those units into fives. Mm-hmm. So one squad got the railgun, one squad got the plasma beamer. Mm-hmm. The Sagittars came with the twin bolt cannons and the auto cannon. Uh, two units of six bikes, fully loaded with uh, the two different scanners, plus the searchlight, plus the ion beamer, the two ion beamers in each squad. Uh, and then the land fortress, which was bolt cannons, scanner, and the railgun. Now, when I first wrote it all out, I went, there's no freaking models. Mm-hmm. This is really, like, what, what, huh? Because I'm used to playing things like Drakari and Harlequins and Craftworlds where I'm just flooding the table with units. Even my Craftworlds tend to run 14, 15, 16 units. Yeah. This thing just didn't feel that way. So it was really awkward for me to try and adjust how it played because I couldn't afford to, like... Every model's valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And I lost both bike units. I got I lost one unit instantly turn one without it firing a shot. And the other bike unit I got to shoot once before I lost it entirely. Um I lost one model from it and then I got to shoot with it and then it got charged and died immediately. And that was bad deployment on my part. But at the same time they kinda helped with what happened because they soaked shots that should have gone elsewhere, which was okay. Um, the Land Fortress, though, is the thing that's been hyping everyone up. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I fired the main railgun, which is the boogeyman gun that everyone's so desperately scared of at the moment. I had the plus one to hit from the um, the Master, mm-hmm. and I had rerolls, two of the four shots. The first time it fired was at a unit with three judgment tokens. Roll to hit, one. Okay, re-roll, two. Yay, I hit, but I don't trigger my judgment token. Oh, that's annoying. So I don't get damage overflow straight away. So roll to wound, one. 
Great. Nothing. Literally nothing. Okay, mm. cool. Round two. Roll to hit. One. Reroll. Three. Hit. But again, no catastrophic explosion of the, the special rule. And I actually killed a Wraith that turn. That was nice. Round three. Failed to wound again. Round four. It came around the corner. There was a Necron character in the open. It was one of the few things left on the table from the Necrons. And I went, yeah, what the hell? I'm not going to shoot any other gun. I've got all these other guns on this thing. I'm just going to shoot the railgun. Six. Instant death. Thanks. Gone. So that was... that was Because <laughs> he didn't even have judgment tokens. It was just, uh, I'm going to roll at six. Dead. Ah, oh, cool. The bolt cannons and the auto cannon, on the other hand, were horrific. And that's... The price of two Sagittar is the same price as one Land Fortress. Mm-hmm. When you compare the two... The Land Fortress is Toughness 8. The Sagittarius T7. The Sagittarius moved 12, whereas the Land Fortress only moves 10. The Sagittarius uh, combined 18 wounds with a 3 plus 5 plus save, whereas the Land Fortress is only 16 wounds, but it's 2 plus 4 plus. Mm. So it's more durable in that regard. Yeah. In terms of firepower, the you're literally getting the same bolt cannons. You're swapping the railgun for one auto, auto cannon. They're really comparable at that point. And between the two Sagittarius, they carry 10. The Land Fortress carries 12, I think it is. So you're actually at a point where the, the comparison is really valid. Mm. And I found those bolt cannons and auto cannons were just so reliable. They're, they remind me of some of the Drakari and the Kraftful weapons I love, which is just high volume, multi-damage. They just do the same sort of things where you're going, oh, cool. What's that thing? Shoot, 12, strength 6 or strength 7, neg 2, 2 damage shots at 40 inches. How many of those have you got? Four? Oh, and the Land Fortress, so really it's six. Mm. Holy shit. And that that sort of volume was what won me the game. It wasn't the big one-shot scary guns. It was just the ability to just throw volume downrange. Um which is why when I looked at them compared to the bikes, a squad of six bikes is the same price as two Sagittarius. Hmm. And I kind of went, the two Sagittarius don't put out as many shots as six bikes, but the quality of what comes out of them and yeah. the durability of what is on the table is a marked improvement. But at the same time, there's six of them. Well, the, the funny thing is with the Sagittarius as well, there are only nine wounds, which is really awesome. Because they don't degrade. Mm. Whereas the Land Fortress degrades. Uh-huh. Um, and obviously with the bikes, they're three wounds each. But every time you lose a bike, you lose a chunk of firepower. Yeah. Whereas if you lose nine wounds off your bikes, I well, you'll lose my first Sagittar. Mm. So the Sagittar are actually in a really good spot in comparison to other units that do similar jobs. The only thing they don't have over the bikes is the bikes are objective secured. Which is really important in this list because they're the only mobile obsec unit. Yeah. So I don't think you can go without bikes, but I don't know. I actually, I've got 12 bikes. I was going to run two of six. I'm actually now wondering whether I run them three or four Mm. because then I don't feel bad when one of them decides to perform an action. So instead of giving the entire squad up for firepower, I'm now only giving up four models. And there's more redundancy when something happens. It doesn't cost me anymore. It actually saves me points. But can you fit them in as far as the number of slots that you've that's got? That's why I have to go to a, an Outrider. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's the hurdle. Yeah. And that's the be- I think it's a really clever design because I've seen people go, oh, you just don't take the Sagittarius. That, that is an option. Mm. But then you're relying solely on the bikes yeah. for your sort of 
mid-game scoring because you're walking five inches a turn with everything else. And you are just shooting off the table. I didn't score a primary point in this game until turn four. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up when you talk about well, losing your mid-game scoring. Well, you didn't have any mid-game scoring. <laughs> no, but because Jason made a couple of errors in the early game, which were neat tricks, but if he'd played it slightly differently, I would never have gotten a score turn four. And by that stage, it would have been too late. Yeah. Um, essentially, instead of committing on turn one, he kind of he screened rather than tagging things with those scarabs. And if he'd done it cleverly with the scarabs, he could have locked up all the bikes, stopped me from moving, and then hit the Sagittar instead of the bikes with his guns. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, most of my scoring units are locked behind a wall of scarabs I have to clear, which is irritating. And if he's tagged vehicles and they're not shooting and... Or if they are, they're, they're, you know, they're shooting into combat, which is a problem. And the bikes, there's only one stratagem here that lets you fall back and shoot. Yeah. It's called well, re- well-ordered well retreat. One CP, select a Votan core unit, so it doesn't work on the Sagittarius either. Yeah. And it lets you fall back and shoot. It's a great strat. But if he played it right when he came in with the Scarabs turn one, he could have just locked me in the corner for all of turn one, all of turn two, probably all of turn three with a second wave of Wraiths. And then by that stage, I'm not in a position to score anything turn four because it took me two turns to get into a position where I could score anything. So he did a really good job of clearing me from objectives multiple times, which is why I didn't score anything till turn four for those for the primary anyway. Um. So the the range and line of sight definitely hurts the army certainly more than more than I expected, Mm. and I think it'd be even worse on WTC levels of terrain because. You just can't see anything. You need to be able to see things to to hand out grudge tokens from the Carl. When everything's obscured, nothing left to you see. can't see it. Yeah. <laughs> that was a problem. So, yeah, I really liked the Sagittaire. For the points, for what they did, a really solid unit. Um, and I think that even if you're just going, yeah, I'm just going to run, like you could run one unit of troops in the, the, the build I'm proposing... Um, because you only need one troops choice, mm. I'd still take Sagittar, even without anything to put in them, because they're just really good little, for 110 points, they're basically a Space Marine Predator, but, yeah. but better. So, <laughs> And the other models, so I, I'm going to be honest, can't remember. Um, you said they were, but they weren't good choice. They were, uh, the but they Hearth, weren't the a good Hearthguard. choice. Okay. The Hearthguard are the sort of the Terminator equivalents. They're the exosuits. I love them because they're exosuits. Mm-hmm. That's the the stop and end of that conversation. The weapons they give you, they're a shooting unit. They're not a combat unit. Whereas most Terminator equivalents are a combat unit, not a shooting unit. They're only two attacks base. If you give them the Power Blade, they're only one damage. But if you give them the Concussion Gauntlets, they're minus one to hit. Mm-hmm. And when you've only got, like, you've got a squad of five of them and you've only got 10 attacks or 11 attacks because of the squad leader, they don't have the output in combat. Mm. But they every one of them gets a D6 shot grenade launcher and every one of them can either have a disintegrator or a plasma gun. Most of the internet seems to be on the side of the disintegrator. I actually don't think that's what the army needs. Mm. Because its shtick is, it's a three-shot 18-inch gun Strength 5, no AP, 1 damage. But if I roll a 6 to hit, I deal a mortal wound and the attack sequence ends. So when you've got a squad of... Like I had 10 of them on the table. 
That's 30 shots hitting on threes. And any sixes you roll are just one mortal wound. Mm -hmm. And then you move on to the wound process like normal for everything else. It only procs on sixes to hit, so you get no benefit from judgment tokens because if you roll a six to hit, it mortal wounds instead of auto wounds, so mortal wounds is better. So you, out of your 30 shots, you get five on average mortal wounds, which is great. Like, it's really good. But to get the most out of it, you want a squad of 10 with full rerolls, so you can actually go, cool, I'm rolling 30 dice. I've got five hits. I'm going to reroll everything that's not a six and go fishing for more sixes with the other 25 dice, and you'll get another four out of that. And now you've got nine mortal wounds. But it's also cost you CP to do that, mm. and you've got to have a squad of 10 of them, which means you can't go into transport, and they take up a big footprint because they're Terminator bases. And if you get tagged with anything serious in combat, they die. Yeah. Like, I, like Jason was Jason charged a unit of them with wraiths. Now, admittedly, the five wraiths versus the five hearthguard, we were basically trading mm. one for one with his volume versus my impact. But in all honesty, it was the hammer that I gave the squad leader that was killing wraiths. It mm. wasn't the general dudes. And you can't mix and match the weapons either. Ah. So you can't go half with blades and half yeah. with fists, which is what I'd want to do. Yeah. Can't do that. Now, the other gun option they have is a plasma gun. It's 24 inches, one shot, strength eight, neg four, two damage. But it's only one shot. But looking at the way the army hits, all the vehicle guns are strength six, strength seven. All the bike guns are strength six, strength seven. All the infantry guns are strength four through six with the exception of the railgun. Mm -hmm. And there's I had three in the whole army. Two yeah. of them were infantry and one on the vehicle. The army duchy doesn't have... Once you hit strength seven, there's a big gap because it goes strength seven and then strength 14 with a railgun. Yeah. That, that sort of high average shooting, like LAS cannon equivalent, it's not in the army anywhere. Yeah. So I'm actually wondering whether the plasma gun in those... Hearthguard units plays a role where you can treat them as a shooting unit and at 24 inches they can sit there and go, cool, here's 10 of us shooting plasma shots at you that are all two damage that are likely wounding light targets on twos and everything else on threes. At neg four, which means armor of contempt doesn't mean as much. And when you shoot us back, we're minus one damage, we're no rerolls to wound, we're no rerolls for damage, we're four up invulnerable, two up armor, teeth, like, you know, it's a long conversation to have, but... Mm they become a really durable shooting unit. Yeah. And again, if I could mix and match the guns, I would. Yeah. So I think I'll try a game with them because there's no points difference. So I'll try a game with plasma guns on them. Mm. And I think if you're going to go the plasma guns, you end up taking the gauntlets instead of the plasma blades because now you're using them in a defensive role where they're going to march to the middle mm. of the table and kind of stand there. Yeah. And at that point, you want to make sure that anything that charges you hesitates when you go oh there's there's 10 of them it's only like 21 attacks oh what's the combat profile oh strength 8 neg 3 3 damage oh hang on a minute with four rerolls yeah oh I'm grudge oh <laughs> you want to give people pause yeah when you it's say it's a very different role yeah so I think I need to adapt that but mm. I just love the exosuits so <laughs> so they'll make it whether it's 5 or 10 of them they'll make an appearance in some way shape or form the two squads of 5 did well but I missed the because of the what the rest of the army was they felt a little bit light on when you compared to what the other things were doing mm. in terms of output particularly for their cost but that's ironic given that they probably are too cheap yeah
So now we've got the army selected. Yeah. What secondaries did you choose and why? Uh, I actually tried two of the new ones out of the book and then I took uh, No Prisoners. Mm-hmm. Now, No Prisoners is a really simple one to take against this particular Necron army because if I table him, it maxes. Mm-hmm. I actually don't even need to table him, to be fair. You max it before then. So getting 15 points out of that, if I'm killing scarabs and wraiths and yeah. I'm scoring points. Yeah. So that's fine. So the Votan have four you can choose from. Um, I can't take the Ancestors of Watching because that's the same category as No Prisoners. Mm. Um, Grudge Match is not a good secondary because it relies on characters killing things and it's just, it's too hard for the Votan. They don't have the right units for it. But this is Votan specific. Yeah. That's interesting. Look, every codex seems to have one or two that are a really good theme. We've put it here, but actually we're figuring nobody should be using it. Well... I think it's a case of it's a really cool theme one, but if you're competing, yeah, you're probably not it's using it. Work. Yeah, the two that I did take were prospects of wealth and lay claim. So, lay claim is the easy one. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, your opponent um, places three extra objective markers on the table. So we had nine on the table last night. Ah. Now, those objective markers only count for this secondary, so you can't do anything else with them. But ba- there's been no room on the table. <laughs> it was there was a lot of objective markers on the yeah. table. Yeah. Um. But basically, as long as I hold them at the end of the game, each one of them is worth five points. Okay. So you don't really think about it until turn four. Mm. Um. And I held all three of them because Jason had one model at the bottom of turn five. Um, but I'd also, yeah, but at the but same I'd also time, position myself to yeah, make... Yeah, I was going to say, because you need to be in a position where you can clear the table, but also get back to those objective he, markers in turn five. Well, that was the interesting thing about him. He he did what I assumed most players would do, because they have to be set up not within six inches of my deployment zone or any other battlefield edge and not within nine of each other. There's mm-hmm. nothing stopping you putting near other objectives, though. Yeah. You wouldn't want necessarily want to because then I can score with one unit across two things. Yeah. I actually wonder with this objective whether you do try and put them right outside my deployment zone. He did what I thought most players would do and put them right outside his deployment zone mm. as close as he could. Because it says, um, uh, if you if you selected this secondary objective, then during the resolve pre-battle ability step, your opponent sets up three objective markers anywhere on the ground level that is not within six of their own deployment zone. So it's, it has to be six away from their deployment yeah. zone. So he set them up, 6.1. Six yeah, whereas it makes sense to put them if you close put them, to your... Because um, it means depo- that I'm not gotta, crossing the table. Well, that's it. You've got to cross the table to get to him and then get back, back. to the table in order to hold. So you you know, do you then have to... you then in a position of having to decide, do I want to kill those models or do I want to be next to these objectives? Because of the range on the Votan. Yeah, yeah it's... I know he did what I think most players would do is put them as close as he could to him. Yeah, and you know that... And there is an argument for that, absolutely. Yes, there is, except... Depending on what type of arm you're playing. Yes, I was going to say, except that you can't score them until turn five and what's left on the table by turn five and also I would imagine by turn five most of your opponent's models have moved out of their deployment zone. Yeah. So... Um, the other one I took, though, which was interesting, was called Prospects of Wealth. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, any infantry or biker unit can perform the, an action on an objective marker. Um, and basically, you if you complete it, it completes at the end of your same turn, 
which is great because it means your opponent can't stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you complete it, roll a dice and add one to the result if you have the scanner keyword. So that's often upgrades and squads. And on a six plus roll, you get a rich deposit objective marker. Now, each time you complete the action, regardless of what you roll, it's three points. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the game, if you hold at least one of the objectives that was a rich deposit, it's another three. So I completed the action three times for nine. Mm-hmm. One of those I rolled a six for. Mm-hmm. So I got the bonus yeah. and I held that at the end of the game. So I scored 12 on that one. I realized after the game, when I was looking at the table while we were kind of counting up scores, that I could have maxed that one out. Because I had a unit... Ah, that's the extra three points you were talking about. Yeah, so I had a unit of uh, Hearthguard, which had a teleport crest because I don't need the other crest um, because they have an involved save from being a Mia. And there is a stratagem here called Site-to-Site Transport. It's one CP for a character or two for a unit. And it's a redeploy. Anywhere on the table up to nine inches. Which means that the actions started at the end of your movement phase. The reinforcement step happens before the movement, fa- at the end of the movement phase, which means I could have redeployed that unit yeah. onto that last one, performed the action, and then used the vehicles that I had to shuffle around to control the other objectives mm-hmm. that I needed them to be on to score the 15 for lay claim. Yeah. It's another three points that it would have picked me up. At the time, I wasn't... Like, we were wrapping the game up. Mm. It was like, like Jason's turn four was, I move here, you'll go. I did my turn four, killed that, shuffled things around, scored points. Your turn five, I do nothing. Cool, my turn five. I move here, 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 yeah. score that, 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 kill that, oh, game over. Like, it was yeah. five minutes. So, it, that just sort of highlights taking your time and going, how do I maximize this out? And I, I think there's something, we, we, I was having a conversation with someone about events and obviously you weren't playing in an event last night. It was just two mates yeah. hanging out playing a you know playing a game together but when you are playing in events and you're playing even just three three hour games it's nine hours of concentrating spread over 10 10 and a half yeah. hours that's a really long time to be concentrating if you like what's an army where you can gain all of your points in the first two turns as opposed to I still need to be concentrating really well at the end of my final game to be making sure that I am thinking strategically like that. Yeah. So part of the issue I had with that game, Jason was using a new app to score the game with, mm. and I was quite happy with that because I was concentrating on other stuff. Yeah. That's something that I, I broke my own rule. I like to know what the scores are yeah. each turn, which is why I've got my book that sits mm. beside the table so that I can gauge where How's I am going? in the game. And that's something that you said to me that you at the end of the game you didn't know who had won or who lo- who'd lost. No. So it was only that Jason told you that you won. Yeah. So, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so I think there's there's a lot to be said for scoring as the game's going. So well, you, I mean, he was obviously scoring as the game went on. He was, but you weren't seeing. But I yeah no, it was on his phone because it's on his phone. I could have asked. He would have shown me, but I just didn't yeah (laughs) that's on me it is but what i'm saying is that if you're in a situation like that and it is down to the wire those three points could have made the difference between winning or losing so you know paying attention to what's happening with the game and how do you 
go all out in order to get those extra three points. It also gives you a safety net as a player so that at the end of your opponent's turn one, if he's scoring in an app and you've got a piece of paper or your own app, then you can go, okay, cool. So what did you score that turn? This, this, this. Oh, I've only got you down for this and this. When did you do that? Oh, I did this. Okay, cool. Yep. And you can make sure that you're kind of double checking each other to make sure that the scores are right. Um, And as you're doing it, because at the end of turn five, oh, hang on, on turn one, I only had you doing this. What did you do? Yeah. Uh... And the, the, now, I mean, some players will be able to tell you exactly what they did. <laughs> yeah. Some players won't. But I mean, like, the, the only reason I could afford to... I could ignore two of my secondaries. Yeah. Because one of them I didn't score till turn five. Yeah. And no prisoners is scored at the end of the game. And it's based on kills. So as long as I was removing models, I was scoring points. Mm. And I knew that, like, his total wound count was like 170 or something. And I need to kill like 120 or something, 130 to max it because yeah. of the bonuses that you get. So I knew that as long as I was killing the, the bulk of his army, that was 15. I didn't really need to think about that. Um, I probably scored that before turn four. Mm. Um, so circling back, how did you expect the army to perform? Um. I was really, and I, I still am to some degree concerned with how this army scores in some missions. Because we played a 2 3 more one, mm-hmm. and I didn't, I scored the data intercept component of the primary in turn, in every turn. Mm-hmm. 2 3 3 in turn one, uh, 2 and 3 respectively. But I didn't actually hold two objectives or more in turns one, two, or three. Yeah. And at the bottom, and that's of, tricky to do when you've only got a small number of models. Well, the weird thing for me is that every time I thought I had them, Jason would clear them, mm. and because I went second, it got even more awkward because I kind of I felt on the back foot until probably turn three when I got to start dictating the flow of the game when I actually got to push forward and start sort of taking control of where things were happening. Mm. And I know I've asked you a question. And I'm not used to that. That's exactly what I was about to talk about. So I know I've asked you a question. I will come back to it. But when you play, you're a very offensive player. As in you take the offense, not you're rude. But maybe you are (laughs) rude as well. I don't know. (laughs) Um, So how did that go with this particular army? Like I say, it was really... It was very tentative for me to start mm. because like, I deployed the bikes badly. But I also decided that I'd rather lose them than other units as a screen. because I Did knew- you deploy the bikes badly on purpose or you deployed the bikes and then thought, ooh, that wasn't right? A bit of both. Um, the footprint they take up is not inconsiderable. Mm. Like they're on big- I thought they were on the standard bike bases. They're not. They're on the outrider bike bases. They're yeah. friggin' huge. Yeah. So when you've got 12 of them, let alone 18... They, they take up a lot of real estate. And we were being very lenient with the sizes of the Land Fortress and the Sagittarius because those models aren't out yet. Mm. Um, we knew what size the Hearth Guard were on because they're on 40 mil bases because we have the champion. Yeah. Um, but we were basically treating the Sagittarius as something more like a, a Goliath rock grinder uh, from the Gene Steel Cult and the Land Fortress something like a Land Raider mm-hmm. from the Space Marines. Now, whether they end up Bigger than that, I don't know. Yeah. But I blocked... Uh, part of the issue with all those vehicles is you start blocking yourself in around yeah. terrain. 
And so the bikes ended up in a position because they got a pre-game move. When he got his pre-game move because he went first, I kind of went, well, if I swing the bikes forward, then they just get... Like, I'm literally handing them to him on a platter. Yeah. They just die. And so when I first put them on the table, I kind of... I just chucked them down because I went, I can redeploy them, it's fine. And then when I looked at where they could be redeployed, I decided they were just better off as a screen mm. to try and soak a charge and take some firepower rather than using them for what I really should have, which is like in smaller units of, like I say, I think four is the, the magic number because of their leadership and because of the footprint and everything else that would then let you go, oh, okay, cool, these four are going to move 24 inches because of the there's a stratagem that lets them auto advance 12 and then it means you're in a position to perform an action the following turn or you can just move 12 and then p perform an action and still shoot because there's another stratagem that lets them do that yeah um and that's there's all this sort of little stuff that i keep looking at going oh like, like they've they've got a stratagem for one cp which is a better version of lightning fast reactions from the Eldar. It makes them minus one to hit, exactly like the Eldar one. But it also means if I advance, you can't re-roll to hit. I'm just going to put it out there, just in case anybody listening is thinking this, but maybe you should just play Eldar. Because <laughs> everything that you're doing is like the Eldar. This is this is what I like about the Eldar. I like, we get it, you like the Eldar, but you weren't playing Eldar. No, I'm trying. But if you're trying to make them closer to the Eldar, why don't you just play Eldar? Because I like the exosuits. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> no, look, I think one of the dangers of any competitive player is you play the same one or two armies again and again and again and again and again, and it actually develops gaps in your knowledge and in your own abilities. So if you're if you're playing nothing but a uh, Eldar a Tau gunline, like an army that sits in the corner and just shoots, which this army could be done, like you could play that way with the Votan to some degree. You don't learn the tricks of the assault phase and you don't learn some of the manoeuvring stuff and you don't learn like some of the the weird stuff that you can pull off with certain stratagems and certain combos. And So you, are you at risk of that? I mean, I brought this up to make fun of you, but as a serious question, are you at risk of that when you keep trying to do things to make them more like the Eldar that you used to? But that's, it's actually forcing me to change. Like, I'm used to, like, the vehicle's a great example. Drakari, every vehicle has fly. Craftworld, every vehicle has fly. Harlequins, every vehicle has fly. I actually don't think about, when I, when I put those vehicles down, I put them down roughly where I feel like they're probably going to be fine. And then turn one happens, and I go, cool, I can move 16 inches. I ignore everything in between me and where I want to be. So I can just, I want to be there, so I'll be there. Mm. And that's the way I play my Eldar. There is, there's a deployment process for threat optimization and targeting and that sort of stuff. But the actual finickiness of placing them very technically doesn't happen because I don't. I'm being honest, I don't. I put them down where it makes sense to me, knowing that if I put them in the wrong spot... I'm just going to make fun of you again. Mm -hmm. I asked, is this impacting how you play Votan and you're telling me how you play Elder? I'm giving you the comparison. Are you? Yes. Or are you just talking about Eldar because no, that's no, what no. you love? Because I think I feel like that's what you're doing. With the Votan, it's forcing me to remember that people have to play by the rule book sometimes, um, even though the Votan have their own set of rules. Mm. And it was highlighted last night when I bottlenecked myself in between the board edge and a ruin with a bunch of land vehicles. 
and when Jason teleported the destroyer unit over, I was really worried he was going to drop them nine and a half inches away and just bottleneck me and even worse. And instead, he dropped them at 23 or 24 inches away to try and keep them out of range of some stuff. Yeah. And it meant that when he killed all the bikes, the vehicles all went, cool, we all moved 12, and we all kind of scattered out of this gap that was formed in the space. That was lucky. Yeah. And it's something that I never think of because I've spent how many years playing pointy ears? Mm-hmm. So, and the that was the other thing with the bikes. I went to the game going, the jet bikes. I play three armies with jet bikes. This is fine. They're not. They're not the same thing. They behave differently. They do different things. And these are the least disposable of the army's jet bikes that I play because these have a role that the army needs them to fill. Mm. And I quite like, you know, personally, I quite like the idea of all of the models on the table not being dispensable. Mm. You know, like I... I don't like the idea of models being dispensable. And I think when you play with bigger armies, there's a lot of models on the table that are put there because they're dispensable and they become cannon fodder. Well, there's a place for that sort of unit. Hmm. But this army doesn't have that. No. And like I had a rule when I was building all my point years, 125. That was the magic number. That was what a unit was allowed to cost. Anything more than that, it's too expensive. Don't take it. I think Has that gone up? Because we're in inflation at the moment. So if we <laughs> added 5% for 100, 150 is probably where it sits in 9th edition modern 40k. And Baharath is an exception because he's just good for the extra 10 points he passes. Um, but That like, rule is pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 125, maybe it's 150 and then add a bit. Well, it was 150 and then all the tanks went up five more points. Oh, God damn it, right? That number goes 155 now. Whereas I think the cheapest unit I had in this was the HQs. Every actual unit unit was the Sagittaire were 110. The infantry were 160, 150, something like that. And then the bikes were over 200. The Land Fortress was over 200. The Hearthguard were 190. Yeah. And... You kind of go, oh, okay. Like, there's there's nothing that feels like I can put twenty down to screen with and just shrug when I lose them. It's not like you've got poxwalkers or cultists at mm. five points a model. So, um, that feels familiar. Not having that sort of thing to happen, but this, I think, this army is going to rely on you knowing your target priorities, getting your deployment process down properly, and then. The players who have been playing armies like um, Gene Steeler Cult, I think, will be really well set up to play this army. Yeah. Because that's all about maneuverability and mm. deployment and then the cross... There's lots of strategy that goes with the Gene Steeler Cult as The well. crossfire rules and yeah. all that other sort of stuff. The Votan kind of do the same sorts of things, but probably better at the moment. They do it differently, which isn't mm. fair to say better. Um, Very proud of you for correcting yourself there. Well done. Gold star. <laughs> Look, the jeans look on aren't A tier. This is A tier. But um Well done. You had to ruin it. Exactly. Didn't you? Back Jesus. on track. Far out. No, look, the good part about the modern game at the moment is even the C tier codexes, everyone can win a game of forty K at the moment. Not everyone. Every codex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Every codex can win. And then the the selection of the mission, the selection of the secondaries and the players involved have a big impact on yeah. that. 
because I honestly believe if you take a C-tier army, um, a guard army is a great example. They're probably one of the lowest tier armies in the game at the moment. Um, they're probably above Raven Guard, but you know. They're anyway, still, if you hand that C-tier list to an A-tier player yeah. against an A-tier list with right. a C-tier player, yeah. I, I reckon there's a good shot there. Yeah. So um, the Votan and experienced hands will be dangerous. But I also think there's there's little gaps there, particularly the obscuring rule. It really hurts the army. Mm. So did you answer my question around how you expected the game to go? I had no expectations going in. Jason said, I want to be tabled in three turns. And I went, that's never going to happen. And at the bottom of turn three, he had two models left and I was very shocked. Mm. Um, but again, part of that comes back to the way he let me swing the balance of control on the table and didn't commit when he should have to dealing with some of the threats because like I was looking at the game afterwards, I lost a unit of Hearthguard. I lost the Carl and the Forge Master. I lost both units of bikes. I took six wounds on one Sagittar and I lost two of five of the other Hearthguard. That was it. Mm. And I think part of that was um, he, I kind of got allowed to have a bit of free reign there where I was deleting units and he did the right thing. He was just focused on scoring points. Yeah. But I don't think you can do that with this army. You can't afford to do that in front of Votan mm. because they will delete you faster than you score. And standing three inches in front of them and not attacking me meant I could just got to stand there and go, oh, cool. I'm going to judge you. I'm going to judge you. I'm going to judge you again. And then I'm going to throw a million dice at you. And I think what I heard is that, and I, w this is based only on one game. Yeah. So, you know, it's very, very early days to be making this kind of comment, but they're an army that scores in the late end of the game. Yeah. Now, that army can't score in the late end of the game if you've spent the early part of the game getting them off the table. Yeah. So while I understand Jason's trying to score points, which is really important, you know, that's kind of the purpose of the game. If he had got you off the table, he then would have been able to score points and stop you scoring points in that later part of the game. And He hesitated with the Silent King and hit him for all of turn one and all of turn two for mm. fear of the Railgun. And... The Railgun couldn't have one-shot him, so it wasn't necessarily a factor. But at the same time, I know that that was rattling around in his head going, if I step out, there's at the very least, there's a one in six shot that I lose yeah. both manners in a shot. Or if I've already lost the manners to the rest of the guns, mm -hmm. it just turns around and goes, oh, dead. Yeah. And that was a real concern for him. The trick for me at the time, though, was the Silent King was all the way back over there not near any objectives, not scoring any points, and not and he had an objective where if the Silent King killed stuff with shooting, he got points, and he got more points if he killed it in combat. Mm. That Silent King should have been out shooting front him. front and yeah. centre, turn one, shooting at me. Yeah. Because what what Jason, it, if you're listening, stop listening. <laughs> if you guys no, are no, we, replay this then. No, no, we, we we covered all this last night. Um, the trick with it for me was that because he didn't do that, it was one less target I had to think about. Like, yeah. cool, the Silent King is all the way over there behind a building I can't see. Yeah. 
Wicked. What do I shoot my railgun at? A unit of wraiths. Oh, one. Stupid railgun. I'll shoot all the bolt cannons and all the auto cannons at it. Oh, look, they're all dead. Yeah. And it just meant that there was another threat that I didn't have to worry about. Mm. And that was the way that game went, is I got a wave of scar- like a unit of scarabs and a unit of wraiths. So turn one, I killed all the scarabs that were in front of me, most of the wraiths that were in front of me, and most of the second scarab unit. And then the second scarab unit came in with another unit of wraiths and the destroyers. And then I, you know, like I got to chip away at it with yeah, sure. two or three units versus my entire army. Yeah. And by the time the Silent Kid committed in turn three, it was... Too late. Yeah, it was one model versus two-thirds of my army. Mm. Um, I did get... He did one tactic was really clever of him. He charged the Silent King into the um, the Hearthguard and my Carl, and knowing the secondary that he had, he went to try and kill both squads because it was worth eight points to him if he managed it. What he should have done, in my opinion, was just go cool. I'm going to kill the little bugger who's pointing at units and giving them judgment tokens every turn, and just overcommit and kill that model dead. Yeah. He was also the most dangerous model swinging back at the Silent King. So if he'd just done that, instead of killing half of the Hearthguard and a couple of wounds on the Carl, he could have just gone, dead Carl. Okay, cool. Now he gets charged by the Forge Master, exactly what I did afterwards, because I had to, because mm-hmm. I had to try and bail out the units. And then he can turn around and go, cool, that Carl's worth four points as well, and he's easier to kill than the Hearthguard. Dead Forge Master. And at that point, he probably still loses the Silent King eventually, but he picks up points, whereas yeah. you have to kill them in the, in, with an attack. Yeah. So when I killed the Silent King, he has a blast radius when he dies, so he spent the stratagem to auto-explode. But that didn't count. But, and he killed the Carl and the Hearthguard and the Forge Master in yeah. the explosion, but didn't get any points for yeah. it because it wasn't killed with an attack. Yeah. So little things like allocation, because he was... He was. Do- I get why he was doing it. It was there going, if I can kill all these units in one turn, like, that's awesome. But if he'd committed to kill the Carl, who was a four, four damage fist, that probably swings that combat back where I'm then having to fall out of combat to let the railgun get a clear shot and then hope the railgun hits. And, you know, there's a... Again, there's a few things there that he could have done differently to force me to change the way I played. And he would have scored more points as a result. Yeah. And... I mean this in the nicest possible way to Jason, not necessarily to you. (laughs) It sounds like Jason lost the game rather than you won it. He, we talked a lot about it after the game and I said to him, you know, the Silent King turned one and like there were lots of those sorts of moments where Mm. um, even the bikes, he killed five of the six bikes in both cases and then I failed morale. Mm. So... It was good for him because because he wasn't killing those units. I can't hand out judgment tokens. I, ki- I get to hand them out whenever you kill a unit. Yeah. He didn't kill the unit. And it's the same with the Silent King, King dying. There's no one for me to hand tokens to. Mm. Um, so that was really good for him. But there was some... And we talked about it with the Sagittar and the bikes as well. If he those destroyers had picked off that first Sagittar, the lead Sagittar, then I have to put a unit of infantry out. And then the bikes are all wrapped up with scarabs. The infantry are only moving five inches and they're in the way of the tanks that want to move 12. Yeah. And it kind of just holds me in my corner. And instead of being in a position to score on turn four, 
I probably only score turn five if I can break out at all. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. It's It obviously needs way more games. And that's the tricky part because you, it, I would assume that if you play against Jason again and he brings his same army, then if he puts some of those things into practice that you've both spoken about then you would expect him to score higher. So if you tweak this army and then end up with a worse result, you're like, oh, well, that didn't work because I won the first game and lost this one. (laughs) Do you know, like you can't then, you can't then sort of make an informed, educated decision around whether or not the changes that you made were the right ones to make. Yeah, at the moment. And that's one of the reasons that I think events work really well. Because it forces you to play the same army three, four, five, six times. Yeah, that yeah. particularly for those two-day events where you are potentially playing six games over two days, it's a really great way to see what's working and what's not working in your army against different mm. different opponents, different armies. But obviously, there's there aren't that many six-game events that happen. Look, you to be able to do, and you want to have your solid army to take to those events. The the good part about this book for anyone who is deciding to go down this road. There isn't a bad unit in the book. There's nothing in this book that you will put on the table and go, oh, that was crap. It's it's all good choice. Like There's nothing bad. And as far as secondaries go, there's one that you... I really like Lay Claim for the three, like just 15 points at the end of the game if I hold them. That's um, risky though. It is, but the way they want to score anyway, it's a 3-4-5 army. Mm. And... If I'm not scoring at, at least 10 of the 15 turn 5, the game has gone sideways. I, I want to come back to secondaries, but I think that turn 3, 4, 5 army, there's another threat to that, and that is that what do you control in a game? Will you control yourself? Yeah. But if you have an opponent who is a slower opponent, then you run the risk of not getting to turn Four and five. It, it's definitely an army that you potentially want to put on the clock. Yeah, and you're going to need to be far. Like, what do I have control over? I have con- so yes, there's the clock, but I have control over the way that I play. So you need to be fast, so that you're not the person who's yeah who's like you're giving yourself as much buffer as possible for your opponent to be a slower player, so that you can get to the. Am I boring you, darling? No. It's been so a long day. <laughs> so that you can get to those. I was up like very late last night killing Necrons. <laughs> anyway. No, you're right. The The problem with any any 40k army is always going to be time management. Now, Jason last night had a, a chart, for lack of a better description. It was four pages long. And it was, this is the stuff that you need to remember to do in the command phase. This can repair. This can do this. This can do this. This can do this. This can do this. And he just basically had it in his hand and went, cool, command phase. He does this, he does this, he does this, he does this, he does this. And he had a cheat sheet for all the weapons as well. I think that's really clever. It is. And I've seen Bree does something similar. I don't learn the game that way. I can't, like, you give me a cheat sheet, I never look at it. It just doesn't happen. It's not the way my brain functions. Does your brain function? Well, it has to at some point. Um, <laughs> I I do Mine it. Mine stopped. <laughs> that's why I ask. I'm super jealous. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like an insult, but it wasn't. It was pure <laughs> jealousy. <laughs> I play 40K through learned knowledge and by rote. Like, it, it, I play it enough and I know enough you of it. You don't, though. 
I, I played a lot of it in years gone by. And so a lot of that knowledge still rattles around in my head. So now, I, the rattling around in your head, that I can relate to. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I reckon it's going to take me four, five games with the Votan before I'm not flicking through stratagem cards going, hey, hang on, I can do something with that. Mm. Because there are going to be some key stratagems that you're going to use regularly and there's some other niche ones that you're just going to have to have in your back pocket for those niche moments. Like the ones I've got here, these were the ones, like I had a stack of 30 cards. Six? Yep. In my hand that I kind of went, these were the ones that were important to me for the actual game. Okay, would you like to talk about those cards since you've gone through and found those cards out and you did ask me whether or not I wanted to see them? Well, we've already talked about three of them. Oh, yay, go us. So, Well-Ordered Retreat was the fallback and shoot. Mm-hmm. Mag Riders is the one that makes the bikes harder to kill. Mm-hmm. Side-to-side transport is the teleport. Mm-hmm. They're three. Now, bear in mind, one of those I didn't even use because... Actually, you forgot about it. And Well-Ordered Retreat I never used because I needed the CP to re-roll the railgun and then still failed. Stupid railgun. Stupid railgun. Um, the other three cards are ones that I really like and they're not going to be the ones... like there's, a, there's one that gives you four re-rolls to hit. Like, there's a few of those sorts of stratagems. Yeah. These three, I think, are way more interesting and do cool things. One CP, um, selecting a Votan infantry or Votan biker unit. This unit can perform heroic intervention as if it was a character. Mm-hmm. One CP. The reason that Jason hesitated last night when he went to charge the scarabs into the bikes was because of this stratagem. Mm. He said to me, have you got any heroic intervening with a unit? I've gone through that. Yes, I do. And that would have meant that the Hearthguard got dragged into the combat by me essentially charging in his turn, which picks them up distance of movement and lets me fight with them immediately in his turn one, which is obviously another, because they were blades, it was like another six to 15 attacks or something like 16 attacks, which he didn't want to deal with. So for one CP, great stratagem. Um, the other two, one's called... Luck has, need keeps, toil earns. Okay. I don't, I don't know why they've named it that. One CP. Use this stratagem at the end of your movement phase. Select one Votan core infantry unit. Basically every infantry unit, other than the characters, because everything's core. Um, it has to be within range of an objective marker. It's fine. It's where you want to be. Until the start of your next movement phase, and while that unit is within range of that objective marker... The unit automatically passes morale. It, um, unless that unit makes a ranged attack or declares a charge, the unit can ignore any rules that would cause the actions they are performing to fail. And each time a model in this unit would lose a wound, roll a dice and a six, that wound is not lost. So if you want to hold that objective and it's your turn five and your opponent's still got a turn mm. five, for one CP... Providing you've got the one CP left for turn five. Well, the good part about it is that you... You're not because of this changes to Nephilim. You start with less to build your army, mm. so you tend and but you're getting one in your turn and one yeah, in your yeah, opp- yeah. because you get it in your opponent's yeah. turn. I can guarantee, can yeah, I've got that one CP for that. Mm-hmm. The last one's called Point Blank Fusillade. It's two command points. It's expensive. Cool. Um, select one Votan infantry or biker, so anything other than a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, until the end of the phase, models in this unit can make attacks with ranged weapons, even when they're in engagement range. This is terrifying when you have a unit of 10 Hearthguard who have plasma or Vulcanite disintegrators and grenade launchers who are in combat with something 
who then turn around and go, cool, 2CP, we're going to shoot all of our guns while we're in combat with you. And then in the assault phase, we're going to punch you. And it can That doesn't be... sound very friendly. No, it's definitely not very friendly. Um, for 2CP, I don't know if it's worth it on a five-man... I mean, obviously, digging yourself out of a hole for 2CP mm. is always a good thing. A bike unit that gets charged and... Yeah. You know? And again, that was something I was looking at. If he'd charge the bikes with the scarabs and kind of spread the attacks out across multiple units, then the two damaged bikes shooting in the shooting phase and then using one CP to fall back and shoot with the other bike unit means that I clear all the bikes and still kill all the scarabs. Yeah. So there's a couple of other cool ones that affect beam weapons and like I say, some sort of... Um, like there was one there that I actually went to use... Um, when you lose your Warlord, the unit that kills them for one command point just gets two judgment tokens. Cool. The problem is that when he killed my Warlord, um, we messed up the attack rolls, and then when we fixed it, he didn't kill the Warlord, but he was already on two judgment tokens anyway, so mm. killing a unit of Grimnir, uh, killing a unit of Votan just gives him a judgment token anyway, so it would have been on three regardless. Mm. It just means that if you're taking indirect fire from you know, long-range for something that's, you know, manages to knock off your character through a sniper rifle or something like that, you can go, cool, here's two tokens straight away, and then you get a third for killing the character and instantly you're on three tokens. Yeah. Um, so there's little things like that sort of stratagem for one CP that it comes out of nowhere and you go, oh, hang on a minute, I'm on three. Oh, that's not good. So the stratagems are going to take a little while to get used to. So that's okay. Hmm. So all in all, as we're wrapping up, I'm going to say our three goodbyes really rapidly. Does that mean our episode something's severely gone wrong here? Oh, I don't know. I could argue something's <laughs> gone really right. What are your thoughts on, I guess, so the conversation that you had for the last episode versus now actually having put models or proxy models on the table? Thoughts? So the void armor rule still needs adjusting. Void armor is probably the most broken part of this codex, in my opinion, at the moment. You know how you hate meta? Yeah. I really hate broken. It's a okay, it's a rule that is overpowered. Um, for those of you who don't know, Void Armor in the Votan book is reduces the AP of incoming attacks by one mm-hmm. to a minimum of zero. It also stops you rerolling wound rolls and rerolling damage rolls. In isolation, any one of those rules would be fine. Mm. But all three of them for every model in this book is not good for the game. The reason it's not good... Reroll damage, don't care about. Because the only way most things reroll damage is with command points. Yeah. So you just take that variable out and move on. That's fine. I think the armor of contempt part where you're reducing the AP of incoming attacks by one should be capped. Because and it shouldn't just be for Votan, it should be for everyone who has this the Armor of Contempt rule. Because the whole point of Armor of Contempt was to make Space Marines in Power Armor more durable to small arms fire, because the small arms and stuff had gotten more powerful. Mm-hmm. Having the AP on a railgun that is designed to punch holes in spaceships or main battle tanks or titans reduced by one because of a space marine wearing power armor when a titan doesn't get that rule feels a bit ridiculous. Mm. And the same goes for the Votan. 
like in my mind it should be capped at minus two so if you get hit with an anti-tank gun that's minus three your rule means nothing because it's just too powerful for an infantry or even a, a light vehicle grade defense mm. like capping at it saying okay at minus two reduce it to minus one at minus one reduce it to zero it means that all the small arms that you're worried about are impacted but you're not impacting titan killing weaponry which just shouldn't be yeah um and then the reroll wounds is probably the worst part of it because so many armies pay points for the ability to reroll wounds mm. and this entire army goes no you don't get that rule <laughs> and it's well I was, like i said to jason last night if you bring the reason you bring a space marine lieutenant is for rerolls to wound mm. he's not there for fighting he's no good at it not compared to other combat characters anyway or the my best example was an eldar farseer oh my god i knew there'd be a bloody eldar <laughs> you even made me swear i don't think i've sworn on this podcast yet the the classic farseer on jet bike is guide and doom guide for rerolls to hit doom for rerolls to wound for one CP, I can make a Votan bike unit ignore both those psychic powers. That's not okay. And I don't even use that unit. Um, but my point is that you pay points for that yeah. f- for that privilege. And this and army, the hard part is obviously that if you know if it's just you versus Jason and he knows that you then you just don't take Doom or Guide. Take it. Yeah. But if you're playing at an event and your list is locked and you've picked mm. your psychic powers before the game, then you you've wasted those points. Yep. Yeah, and that's my concern with it. So personally, I'd just strip that rule out entirely and just go, "Cool, cap it at minus two, no rerolls, damage, everyone goes home." Yeah. Um, I'd also take it off the units that aren't wearing the void armor. I don't know why the entire book gets void armor. Every unit. The bikers are wearing trench coats and jeans. They're not. They're not in void armor. The wizard is floating on a rock, looking like Gandalf in a robe. It's not wearing void armor. Maybe it's under the robe. The forge master is wearing overalls. It's not wearing void armor. And the and the Maybe berserk it's incognito void armor. And the berserkers aren't even wearing tops. Okay, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so fair like enough. taking void armor from all of those units yeah. not only is thematic, but then it gives them a weakness that they should have. Yeah. That kind of ties in. Mm. I thought about the judgment token thing because like we had a unit get three judgment tokens turn one and it was interesting. The only reason it did it is because this Wraith unit moves onto an objective, perform an action. There's your first token. Mm-hmm. At the end of your turn, I can pick a unit that's on an objective to get a token. There's its second token. At the start of my first command phase, my Carl could see them. There's your third token. Instant. Mm-hmm. And that's not with any of the the factions that can, like the sub-factions that can do other things. stuff, yeah. They were just three core rules. But there was that unit and the Silent King that got three tokens over the course of the game. Oh, and the Spider. The Spider had three tokens because it sat behind a wall for the entire game performing an action every turn and I only fired at it in turn five with one thing. Mm. I couldn't see it. Most things only got one. Occasionally a unit got two tokens. Getting three tokens actually required me to go out of my way to try and line myself up because obviously because the Carl needs to be able to see it if you've got obscuring between you and the Carl can't give it a token yeah and if you're not performing actions you don't get a token and mm. if you're not on an objective you don't get a token yeah sure so getting three tokens on things isn't as easy as it kind of it, it, it might play out yeah. online um, when I did get three tokens on things 
um, particularly the Silent King combat in turn three when he had three tokens on him was just funny because I sat there going, cool, four attacks. Oh, I've rolled three fours. So they all just wound without me rolling anything else. This one that I rolled a three to hit with, oh, look, it wounds on threes. It wounded you anyway. It actually sped the game up a little bit. Yeah. Because I'm taking dice set going, cool, there's five auto wounds from these auto cannons and there's these are the rest of the, you know, so it was, that was cool. But it wasn't like every unit was getting three tokens and just obliterated off the table. Mm. A lot of the stuff I killed either had one or no tokens because they'd never been put in a position where I could give them them or needed to give them over something else. Yeah, sure. Um, and then the railgun thing, the over, because one of the things I suggested for the tokens was capping it at one per unit per battle round. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's necessary at the moment. Maybe per player turn, yeah. potentially. Um, and then the, the railgun overflow we never really saw because the railgun, if you're all six to wound, the damage from the railgun overflows into the unit. And my suggestion was to cap it at three wounds that overflowed. And that's because if you have 20 cultists in a big mob and I shoot a supersonic round at you, then killing him and two or three mates behind him makes total sense. Mm-hmm. It's not going to kill 10 of the squad. And likewise, if I'm shooting at a squad of five Terminators, I'll kill the first one and there might be one of his mates sort of off to one side that gets clipped and dies as well. Yeah, I shouldn't kill the whole squad with it. So capping it to three would alleviate a lot of the concern with the railgun. But then I never got to use the damn thing. Mm. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Something to look at next game. But the void armor, I think, is the the biggest hurdle at the moment because like the destroyers he's gonna cool re-rolls to win i've got no the silent king combat re-rolls to win no like that just felt like we both kind of laughed at it but at the same time you're there going like you've paid points for that and I'm, you're just not getting to do it and i didn't i suppose technically i paid points for the well, ability yeah. but everything feels really under costed as it is so you're kind of going oh did i really pay points for it so but it does have its other limitations. So you're limited with the number of models that you've got on the table. You're limited yeah. with the line of sight issues. So I hear what you're saying, but there are other limitations that you've got. They're less tangible. It's um, It definitely needs more games. Yeah. And like I didn't try the Berserks, and that's partly because I don't really like them. The models don't do anything for me. The only thing I'd want them for is the Mole Launcher. And no, it doesn't shoot moles at you. Shame. <laughs> it's a redo of the old mole mortar, which instead of the mortar firing up and over, it shot it underground and it tunneled up underneath you and exploded underneath you. What's funny about that is that I have two mental pictures. One of them is like shooting the An actual mole. animal. Yep. And the other is um, Lachlan won't eat raisins because he saw something once about them being like moles off old people. <laughs> And so now I've got both mental pictures playing nicely in my head. Anyway, that's a bit gross. So that's the, the only place you can get the mole mortars on the berserks. Yeah. And I really want a mole mortar because it's that's that's the history cool, of the yeah. army. But I just the models don't do anything yeah, for sure. me, so I just won't do that. Um, and I really want the thunderkin. The thunderkin look. The models look amazing, and they're a cool little exosuit. I don't know how to get them in there. I don't know what they do for the army that everything else doesn't already do better, more efficiently, or take up slots that go elsewhere. And that's... I know the answer is to ditch the Sagittar because there's 440 points in those four Sagittar. But you don't want to. 
but they are exceptionally like they might even i'll go so far as to say they are the sleeper unit in the book that everyone's overlooking because there's so many obvious benefits for some of the other squads that you just go oh my god this is amazing but for the price you pay for those sagittar they're so good with so much firepower that are mobile that are tough but at the same time you've only played one game with them I, so I guess I, I would... don't know how my, my me across the table from I actually don't know how I deal with four or five of them. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that sometimes this is what you're saying is the sleeper agent that people are overlooking. Maybe there's other oh, other look, models that if you tried it without those, you might go, oh, actually, yeah, maybe maybe I might leave those in a box. Look, I think the biggest hurdle for this army is going to be dollars. That's my biggest bet at the moment because I reckon those Sagittarius are going to, if they're cheaper than $100 a vehicle, I'll be amazed. Yeah, especially at the moment. And with the land fortress that everyone's going, oh, you want two or even three land fortresses, if they're under 200 bucks, bucks, I'll be amazed. Yeah. I'm betting the bike squad of three. Most of the bikes, they're weirdly priced. They sit between sort of 55 and 85. Yeah. These could be a hundred bucks for ah. a box for three because they're quite they come on three sprues. Mm. So they could easily be a hundred dollar box. The infantry squad, it's three sprues, you know, that again it's another eighty, ninety, hundred dollar yeah. box. The Hearthguard will be the same, the Berserks will be the same. When you look at what I had on the table last night, if you pay retail for it all in those sort of rough numbers, just the two troops choices with the four transports is six hundred bucks. The tra- the the land fortress makes it eight hundred. Four boxes of bikes is twelve hundred. Fourteen hundred once you've got the hearth guard in plus characters. It's a fifteen hundred, fifteen hundred dollar army. Yeah. Give or take. Now, obviously, if you're buying combat patrols or the starter box, you can save money there. Mm-hmm. But even so, but still fifteen hundred dollars for two thousand points. It's not Gene Steeler cult bad, but it's heading that it's way. Not far off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Particularly when you look like Lachlan added six Chaos Marine bikes to his army. They were 55 bucks for three. Mm. And the unit was like 200 points. So he, you know, dollar for points ratio, he did really well. Mm. Um, all the possessed, like even those, they're 35 points a go. Um, but we don't know how much it is. No, so we, we it's don't. pure speculation at the moment. But I do think that the limit, like this army is going to be one of those ones because it's like the Harlequins when they first came out or the Jean Stilicott when they first came out. It's really limited in choices. Yeah. When you come up against a Votan army these days, you expect to face a Carl. You'll expect to face at least one unit of Hearthkin infantry, probably one land fortress in every army. Mm. You'll probably face at least one, if not two units of bikes. And then everything after that will be, do I like Berserkers? Do I like Hearthguard? Do I want more bikes? Do I want Sagittar? Do I want another land fortress? Like it's gonna, they're gonna feel very similar each time because there's only so many units and so many combos, yeah. and even the different sub factions for them. Only there's only three of the five hmm. that I think you'll see with any regularity. The Emir, which I played last night, which is a range boost for the army that it desperately needs, alongside an involve save and an AP boost at half range. This, the Great Aetherian League, which is the standard colour scheme because Uthar, the Destined, is so good and you also count everything as one token higher, which is the biggest benefit for the army. Mm-hmm. And there's a combat one that buffs, like if you're going to go Berserk heavy and combat unit heavy, then you can give them all plus one strength and plus one attack and yada yada yada. The other ones are kind of niche, 
Whereas I think those three you'll see featured more regularly. Yeah, sure. And the funny thing is I got the, when we got the book, I looked at the color schemes in the book and went, oh, I really love the red one because I do lots of red armies. And then I looked at the rules and went, oh, they're the Emir. Everyone's going to play this army. God damn it. So now I'm thinking about painting them orange. But that's one of the other... That's the combat one. And mm. I don't want to do the combat one. So <laughs> I might just paint them orange and play them as the red one anyway. Okay, well, we don't have the models yet, so it's not an issue. I've got a few models. Look. Well, not the, Yes, I see them. Not the ones that He's you need the... in order to be able to record the games. No, and that was when we were talking about it today. You asked why didn't I stream it or record it, and that was because <laughs> there were Chaos Terminators on the table and there were Chaos Bikes on the table and there was a Land Raider. And... Yeah, I did suggest that he should play a game of um, Votan against Lachlan tonight, but apparently they couldn't because Michael was using half of Lachlan's <laughs> <Yeah>. army as, <laughs> as a proxy, so <laughs> might have made it tricky. Oh, look, we, we were talking about that. We think we can get a game happening on the weekend because I'll just have to go out and dig out my Deathwing for the Terminators. And then if he digs out his Outrider bikes, I've got enough bases that we can proxy out the bikes. Um, and then I'll just use Guardians instead of his cultists for my peons. And I think we can do something. But, but yeah, it was, it was funny because he's going, oh, I need those two units. Okay, we'll have to figure that one out then. Yeah. So, but all I'm, right. But the, look, from playing something different to what I would have been playing for oh, what all, do you normally of, play, darling? all of ninth. Oh, you've never heard of them. It's <laughs> um, been really refreshing for me. Yeah. Because I and I, I love playing pointiers. I always do you? have. And, you hide that well. And this was a really nice, refreshing change for how they play and for the way you have to think about the game. Mm-hmm. And I know there's going to be people who go, oh, you just roll dice and shoot things off the table. It wasn't lining up in a line and just shooting the Necrons off the table. Well, it's tricky when there's so many buildings there and yeah. you can't see the Necrons in order to shoot them off the table. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's it's certainly, I think, if you're going to play a gun line, building an assault army is always good for you because it teaches you different parts of the game. This is the same thing. This will teach you different parts of the game in how you think about scoring and if you get the choice of objective placements and little things like that, that'll change the way the dynamics of the table play out. And I think that's good for players. Mm-hmm. So have another go with them on the weekend. See Hopefully, how that yeah. goes. <coughs> we'll try them against Lachlan. I think he wanted to run his tournament list that he took to WATC, which was a creations of bile, possessed terminators, bikes. It was one I helped him work through. It's the one... He's come closest to beating my Eldar with. You're not playing the Eldar. No, but that's it'll be an interesting comparison because we do have an army. The last game he played against me was 69 to 75. Yeah. It was the closest he's come to beating me so far. It'll be interesting to see if... This pushes him over the edge. That does. Yeah. Hopefully he listens to this and hears all of the hints and tips that you gave to Jason. (laughs) But... Yeah, we'll see what happens. And then once the models are actually available, um, this will be one of those few releases where I'm actually, like I'm starting to paint what we have and the rest of it's not out yet. So I might actually be on track to have a painted army in a reasonable amount of time. Um, I found, on a completely different note, I found a... Um, Do you hear how I'm trying to wrap up? Yeah. Okay, right. We're just ignoring that, are yep, we? Yep, pretty much. Um, That's my second goodbye. I found a YouTube tutorial about 
Votan on how to paint them quickly. Okay. And it uses a lot of a lot of contrast stuff, but the way you undercoat it impacts it. Mm. And it's actually three different undercoats. So they get sprayed red, which hang on, I'm gonna hand you this one. This has had two undercoats on it so far. The third one's gotta go on by hand. So you put like a, a warm red underneath it, and then you kind of put a, a pale grey or a bone colour. I've gone with grey because I want a more neutral finish. But you leave little hints of red in all the recesses. Mm-hmm. And then you dry brush white over the top of it again. And then you put contrast on. And as long as you're careful with the contrast, it actually just makes contrast work better for what it already does. And then once the contrast's all blocked in, you hi- for the Votan, you highlight their armor and their face, the focal point, and obviously the bigger surface. And that's it. It's one edge highlight, mostly contrast. And it looked really good on the YouTube channel. So, of course, I picked the HQ and I'll do that one first. Um, and if it works, then because you're only putting one or, you know, you can even get away without the highlight for the average, like for just the infantry. Mm. Who cares on an eleven point model? You know, you don't put the edge highlights on it. Oh well, it's contrast, it's fine. So I'm gonna try and see if I can make this army something that isn't just going to take me years to paint, which is ultimately what puts me off trying to finish the you army, know, because I look at it and go, Oh my god, this is gonna take me forever. So I'm trying to use this as a tool to get faster at painting. So Fingers crossed. Anyway, now I'm done. You You're can done? say goodbye now. Okay. Thanks for listening. Hopefully, I don't know, hopefully you found this interesting to listen to. <laughs> I figured if we were going to have this conversation over the dinner table, maybe we'd do it in front of a microphone. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, hopefully people found it interesting to listen to. It's good to be back recording podcasts again. Hopefully we'll get a get back into the swing of it. We need to do a Chaos Demons one. We're going to talk about that in a future episode because that's been out a little while now. Okay. And I also want to talk about um, the the idea of banning models which we I posted about on our Facebook page a couple of days ago banning units and armies and codexes mm-hmm. um, that's a whole episode conversation of its own so we can yes, do that for is. a future episode perfect but until then happy gaming everyone nobody tosses a dwarf listening to the Objective Secured podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, you can visit our website, objectivesecured.com.au. You can find us on Facebook, facebook forward slash objectivesecured, or you can email us, obsec at optusnet.com.au. Thanks for listening. <laughs>